Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. Um, we do teachings and series. We're in a series called I Marriage. This is week three of three. So you'll be in the part that we wrapped up. And uh, if you missed one of the other two, uh, the audio is on our website and you can listen to those. Today's topic, it, it takes three. Now, if you're single and hope you're married someday, obviously this stuff would be helpful. But if you're never planning to be married, this is fine. There's a principle and we're going to be teaching today that applies to everybody in all relationships. So <clears throat> hopefully you won't tune us out. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we've been talking about this one specific dynamic, hopefully a practical dynamic, that can help you in your relationships, especially in marriage. <clears throat> and we talked about we all approach marriage with a capital I. When we're dating or even before we're dating, we have all these hopes, dreams, wishes, and desires. You know, who's a, who's a hunky guy these days? I would say Robert Redford, but he's old. Who, who would you, this generation here, who would you say, you know, I want to marry somebody like who? Come on, give me somebody. Tom Brady? I don't know. Uh, he's not quite so old. All right, uh, you, you know, or you... I use this illustration. I once married somebody with muscles like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Of course, he's old now too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, hopes and dreams about, you know, one day we're going to have this dream house, you know. We have now on a, up in the mountain and in the trees and uh, we have our dream house. Um, we have hopes and dreams or it's I. I hope to have this or I hope to... Uh, have children. You talk about this stuff when you're dating, right? And it's kind of fun to talk about. You know, we're going to have kids after a year or two or five, whatever. Uh, you divide up the responsibilities of chores in life. In my house, my wife does the laundry. She was gone all week. Guess what? No laundry was done this week. <laughs> um, you know, and I fix things around the house and cut the grass and all that kind of stuff. Uh, money's a biggie. You know, I hope, you know... He or she's going to make lots of money so we can buy a nice big house or go on nice vacations, etc. I have this dream or my vision about how we're going to spend money and how we're going to save money if we're going to save it and so forth. Uh, we might be driving junky cars nowadays, but one of these days we're going to be able to afford a car like this. That's, that's, that's a dream I have. Time is another issue. Uh, you know, we're always going to be on time. And the other one said, yeah, we talked about this. The other one thinks 10 minutes late is on time. So that's an issue. Uh, we're going to spend all our time together. When you're dating, you want to. After a while, you, you understand you've got to have your own separate times. Another one, you know, my spouse is going to look the same as she does when we got married 30 years later. Well, that's not realistic, right? My wife's not much bigger than she was then. I've gained 20 pounds, believe it or not, since we got married. Um, so, we have all these things. The common denominator is I. I wish, I hope, I desire that this will happen, this will happen, it'll go like this, our marriage will be like that. Problem is, when you get married, you have two big eyes, right? You got his list and you have her list. And what happens is, unintentionally, what happens is, these desires turn into expectations and it might just seem like semantics but no this is the, there's a big difference between these two boxes <clears throat> over here it's kind of fun and you hope and dream and wish and when the things come true you celebrate over here 
you get upset, you get mad, you, 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 uh, your intimacy level goes down if you don't get these things. And when you do, it's, well, it's just my expectation. He was supposed to cut the grass. She was supposed to do the laundry, etc. Big difference when we shift things from desires to expectations. The dynamic completely changes. Now, I gave you a homework assignment week one. Nobody did it. But anyway, not anybody. One person did it. Um, and it was this question here. What does your spouse owe you? And week two, we gave you the answer. Everybody, what's the answer? Nothing. Now, it's easy intellectually to answer that question correctly, right? But do you truly feel like they owe you nothing? The other way of saying is, do you really have nothing in that expectation box? And that's pretty rare. That's hard to do. So easy for those hopes, dreams, and desires to become expectations. And what we usually do or often do is we boil down to this what I call compromise marriage. I'll do this if you do that. If you don't do this, I won't do that. It's kind of a 50-50 marriage and usually <laughs> the one spouse thinks they're doing over and above but the other one's not doing enough and vice versa. And so there's this tension and there's pressure and it's just not much fun. And again, the intimacy level uh, deteriorates or, or goes down. So we talked about last week, and if you're not a Jesus follower, we're really delighted you're here. Some of these principles apply, but this one's going to be difficult if you're not. <clears throat> we said that our marriage is supposed to be an example of the relationship we have with God, and this relationship we have with God is debt-free. Salvation or entering a relationship with God is debt-free. God gives you this gift. Gifts are free, right? Gives us this gift. That means it comes with no strings attached. It's unconditional, and God says, Hey, I love you. I sent my son to die for you. Accept that gift. You're in the family. No matter what you do afterwards. Okay? So he loves us the same today as he did yesterday. And he'll say tomorrow. No matter if we do, do the right things or not do the right things. So this is a debt-free relationship. And if you're a Jesus follower, it's our obligation to demonstrate that love to our spouse. In fact, the best way our spouse is going to come to understand how God loves them is by the way we love them. Huge responsibility, isn't it? Big, big. So, today we're going to start talking about uh, another principle. And the key or the goal is to empty the expectation box. My spouse doesn't owe me. I have a debt-free relationship. And so I have nothing in this box. If or when you get to that place, it's no longer about a big eye. It's about a little eye. It's not about I want anymore. And we talked about last week, the key to that is to enter a third person into the relationship, right? It's not just him and her. It's him and her and God. In fact, God is the primary person in this relationship or this triangle of relationships. But here's the big question, right? What do I do with what's in this box? I had all these hopes and dreams and desires. What do I do with them? Well, what we talked about last week, and we'll talk about it this week, works. But let me talk to you about a couple things that don't work. <clears throat> Some options for dealing with unsatisfied desires when your spouse isn't meeting those. First, we can try and ignore them. Pretend they're not there, all right? I really don't care if we ever have that house. I really don't care if we ever had a car. I really don't care if they cut the grass. I really don't care. 
The problem with that is what? That's a lie, right? It's a lie. These are your hopes and dreams. they often legitimate. So it's a lie. It's, it, it's unhealthy. So that's not a good option. Another option is to stay busy. I've been there, done this, tried this. Well, <clears throat> I don't want to get upset because she's not meeting my desire, so I'm just going to pour myself into my work and pour myself into my hobbies and just, just stay busy. And it works kind of, and it works for a while. Uh, but the problem is what happens to your spouse when you see you basically ignoring them, pouring yourself into work and, work and hobbies. Well, they say, if you don't care about the relationship, I'm not going to care about the relationship. And so they pour themselves, and again, you just drift further and further apart. So these are coping mechanisms or attempts at coping with these desires, dreams not being met. But these attempts only make things worse. They, you're not getting what you want. You, you have these hurts, and it's painful. And the last one's a really bad option. Find somebody else. Well, she can't cook or she can't clean or she's not interested in being intimate with me. I'll find somebody else It is. Now, we talked about this before. Some of you are in a second, third relationship or second, third marriage. What's the common denominator between the first, second, and third relationship or marriage? What's the common denominator? It's you, <laughs> right? It's you. And what happens is you take this box with you into the next relationship, right? In fact, often it gets worse in the second relationship. Because the first person didn't meet them, so you're going to make sure the second one meets those expectations, right? And so you put more pressure on. <laughs> and uh, there's more nagging or for, for uh, <laughs> use of a better word. So we're going to look at something that Peter wrote. Now the neat thing about Peter was he hung out with Jesus for three and a half years. So he heard all the stuff that Jesus taught. But unlike Jesus and Paul, which wrote most of the New Testaments about, Peter actually was married, right? Had a mother-in-law. So he was married. So he's not just talking from theory or theoretically. He's talking from experience. So we're going to just look at a couple of verses and kind of flesh those out and then and then talk about another principle and we'll be finished. <clears throat> so this is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. And then we're trying to jump in, in the middle of something here. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. Another word is be submissive. And we talked about that a lot in the first two weeks. Be submissive to the elders. So they're your authority and you're accepting their authority. More, you're willingly accepting their authority. And all of you dress yourself or clothe yourself in humility as you relate to one another. So this means I am humbling myself before you, not because I have to, not because the Bible says so, not because you're my boss, and not because of any other reason, but I am choosing. I put a definition on the screen and on your, uh, in your materials. Biblical humility is this, freely choosing to put your deal ahead of my deal. Of course, for spouses, it would be your spouse's deal, but in any kind of relationship. Uh, parents, your kids, kids, your parents, uh, grandparents, grandkids, uh, work relationships, school relationships, whatever it might be. All people, if you're a Jesus follower, you're supposed to relate to all people with humility. 
That means freely, not because you're forced to, freely choosing to put their deal ahead of your deal. Now, I'd like to go here and do this, but you want to do this, so we're going to do that. I would rather do this, but you want to do this, so I'm going to do that. That's humbling myself before other people. And he goes on, he talks about this some more. <clears throat> In the same way, you who are younger, no, excuse me, we read that, uh, uh, relate to one another. For God, I don't like this much too much, part too much. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the other side of God, do you? <clears throat> so God says, okay, you can make it about you. It can be all the big eye. It can be about all your hopes, wishes, and desires or your expectations now. Fine, but I don't get involved in that. So I'll just sit back and watch. All right? Do your best you can at doing the eye, big eye marriage because I don't get involved in that. And what happens is we don't usually do too well, do we? And we run into conflict and we run into into problems but there's an op- another option a positive option so God says hey if you want to do it on your own go ahead and do it on your own but we can he gives grace to the humble now by grace we're not talking about that salvation grace where you enter in a relationship with God in fact I give you a definition of grace here uh, God given the power to do what you need to do so in this case, it's to humble myself and put your deal ahead of my deal. Because we're not naturally that way, are we? We're naturally all selfish, right? I want my, to do my deal. So God, I need your help. I need your grace. I need your power to be humble myself and put their deal. And God says, I get involved in that. I can help you with that. I can actually make you successful at that. This is a tremendous promise, powerful promise God gives us. If we'll just humble ourselves, he'll give us the ability, the power, the grace to be able to put somebody else's deal ahead of our deal. Because <clears throat> the alternative is doing it yourself just wears you out. You ever been in a relationship where you just, I can't do it anymore. I'm just exhausted. I can't deal with the expectations of my spouse anymore. It's just too much pressure. Or I can't, can't deal with... My spouse not meeting my expectations anymore. I just want to get out. I want to get out of here. And, and some of us have gotten out of those relationships. So then he goes on, again, hitting this topic of humility. He says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. So again, it's not because you're forced to, because you have to. Uh, it's because you willingly say, okay, God, you're God, and I'm not. You're the creator on the creation. I worded it another way on your outline. Declare your dependence and announce your obedience. Okay. God, I can't do this. That's a good place to be in your relationship. God, I can't do this. I can't fix this. I can't fix him. or I can't fix her. Because that's what we try and do, right? Say, no, I can't. You're God. I'm not. And then announce your obedience. Because I can say, God, you're, you're God and I'm not. But then go ahead and do whatever I want. So God, I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to humble myself under your power. And you're going to give me grace to deal with this situation in a constructive, positive way. 
Now, here's another part I don't like. He says this in the rest of that verse. I humble myself, and at the right time, he, meaning God, will lift you up in honor. Now, God's timing almost always seems to be longer than our timing, right? I've been talking about marriage for two weeks. Maybe you've been applying some of these principles and, and you expected your marriage to be fixed by now. Pastor, it's not working. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. It takes more than two weeks. I mean, it took you five, 10, 15 years to get into this mess. It's going to take you longer than a week or two to get out of it, right? So at the right time, if you keep declaring your dependence and being obedient, in the right time, God will lift you up in honor. It'll work. Your marriage will become, your relationships will become uh, what they want it to be. Now, what will that look like? It's going to be different for everybody. Some people, this has taken years and years of faithfully obeying God before their spouse, uh, quote-unquote, came around or, or changed. So you need God's grace Patience would be another word. Here's the question. Would you rather nag and push and force and put pressure on and do it on your, try and do it on your own or submit yourself to God, be obedient to God and let Him work? It's really not a very good option. There's only one good option. Now, then He gives us what we're supposed to do. Because we still have these, right? What are we supposed to do? And this is a principle that applies to all relationships, all of life. He says, give all. Or for your fishermen, King James says, cast. So you throw it out there. Cast all your worries and cares, hopes, wishes, desires, expectations. Cast them all on God because He cares about you. Whatever's in this box, and some of them may seem silly. Well, I always wanted to go to, I always wanted to live in Hawaii. Well, I don't know. I never did, but maybe you did. Um, there, there's no work. For, I've, had, I've got a, a niece that's, that lives in Hawaii right now, actually. Um, you know, I always wanted that, that house in the woods. Maybe that's silly. Maybe it is silly. doesn't matter. This when, this, when you cast these things on God, it's guilt-free. God says, whatever it is, give it to me. Guilt-free. I will not condemn you, whatever it is. If it's your desire, it's your hope, it's your dream, give it to me. I can handle it. I can take it. So whether it's about money or about um, children, maybe you're single and want to be married and haven't found that right person yet. Is that a desire you have? Then give it to God. And then the punchline is this, and if you're not a Jesus follower, for this reason, you might want to become a Jesus follower because he says, for he cares about you. God cares about you. He cares about everything you have in this box. I put it on your outline this way. God speaking, if this is important to you, then it's important to me. Whatever it is. God's saying, if it's important to you, it's important to me. 
even if it seems silly, even if it seems outrageous. If it's important to you, it's important to me. So what are you doing in that case? You're humbling yourself by giving it to God. I'm not going to dump this on my spouse. I'm going to dump it on you, God. And when I humble myself, what does God do? He gives me grace. He gives me the ability. He gives me the power. And so, what do you discover? That God begins to change. First, usually you. You become, a uh, lady in our first service shared this last week. She said, I prayed this prayer, God let me see my spouse like you see them. Instead of seeing their faults, begin to see his good points. So, this is a habit or a habit we need to develop, and it might be a new habit for you. And especially at first, you may have to do it 10, 20 times a day, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm worried about this God. I got this hope or this expectation. It's not being met. I'll give it to you, all right? Whatever it is, all right? A little later in the day, I start worrying about it again. Oh, God, I got to give it to you. So that's the principle. Now, the second thing is when you're in a relationship, if you're married, uh, you have conversations, right? And you should have conversations about this box. But there's some wrong ways to have this conversation. And I'm going to hopefully give you some help in having a good conversation about the box over here. I'm going to call it the box talk. And I'm going to make it an acrostic for us guys because we're not too bright and we don't remember things too well. Can you remember car, guys? C-A-R? Can you do that? Okay, nod your heads, good. All right, so here's how I suggest you have this conversation. And if your significant other, your spouse is not a Jesus follower and you are, it's going to be a little trickier, but it still works. First, you confess. By that I mean you take responsibility for turning your desires, moving this stuff over here. So you sit your spouse down and you say, I, I'm really sorry. I know I've had some, some dreams and I, I put pressure on you to fulfill them. I want you to be like this. I want you to be, you know, thinner, for example, or I want you to, you know, manage money better, or I want you to, whatever it might be, be on time. And that's wrong of me. I shouldn't do that. I'm trying to change you. I married, you know, the person I married was, was who you are. I don't want you to be somebody else. You don't say, well... <clears throat> You're not meeting, <laughs> I'm confessing you're not meeting my expectations or my desires over here. No, it's not about them. It's all about you. You confess whatever it is you feel you put pressure on your spouse. That's non-threatening, right? So that's the C, confess. A stands for the word ask. Now, in any of these conversations, you're not going to confess everything your spouse feels pressure about. So here, here, two questions under ask. The first question is, where do you feel pressure? I confess what I, I, I realize I, I put pressure on you. Where do you feel pressure? And most likely they're going to share some things that maybe you didn't confess. And then you can confess that. I am sorry I did that. I didn't mean to. It's wrong of me. I'll try and do better. So you ask 
where the feel pressure. And then the second question is a really good question. What can I do to make our marriage fulfilling? Now, what you're really doing is asking what's in this box without asking what's in this box. Because if you ask what's in this box, you may get something like this. Like I said, well, I wanted you to look like a, a model. I wanted to marry a model. I wanted to marry, you know, a you know, bodybuilder. I wanted to marry a professional athlete like Tom Brady or somebody. And that, it, that ship's already sailed, right? I'm never going to be that. You're probably never going to be that, right? So you're not asking what, you know, since they're a child, what their dreams were, to live in a castle or whatever it might be. You're asking what I can do to make our marriage more fulfilling. What is there in this box that you can take out that I can actually work on? And they get to choose what it is. You don't. So you confess, you're having expectations, and then you ask what hopes and dreams that you can work on for them. And then thirdly, R stands for reward. Reward. And what's rewarded is repeated. This is a general principle in life, right? Parents do this all the time. We call it positive reinforcement. What's rewarded is repeated. So when your kid does something right, you reward them so they'll do it again. So even if this happens accidentally, you know, guys, maybe we uh, saw something out of the house that my wife usually does and we just, whatever, we're not even thinking about it, we just did it. Now, the other spouse, the one that was on the receiving end, it's really important that you reward that. I don't mean by money or something like that. And it's usually by words of affirmation. Uh, a good way to do that is just write a note. You know, I, I, when you did that, you know, yesterday, I, it just made me feel so good that you invested in our relationship and thought enough to do that. And I don't expect you to do it all the time, but it was really great that you did it this time. And guess what will probably do what happens next time? They might do it again, right? So here's, here's, a, here's the gist. He or she will know how important it is to you. Because especially ladies, us guys aren't that smart. We just aren't. You want us to understand what you're like, but we've never been women. And you've never been guys. So when we do something that you appreciate, tell us please, all right? And vice versa. And hopefully this kind of conversation is a no-fear conversation. Because initially when you talk, think about sharing this stuff, it's like, do I want to do that? They're going to feel disappointed that they're not doing. So if you do it in the proper way, this can be a constructive uh, uh, building intimacy and working on your marriage relationship. Now, God performed the first marriage, put Adam and Eve together. And he said, the two shall become what? One. One. So no, no longer two big eyes, but a we or an us. So I put the last thing on the outline. Great marriages are not about two big eyes. It is about an us. So hopefully these teachings have been helpful to you. It's stu I usually talk about stuff that's helped me, uh, but hopefully it's, it's helped you and made your relationship better. And those of you who are, are not in a relationship right now, when you get into a late next relationship, you do it better than your last one or do it right. So that's the end of this series. Uh, give you a quick glimpse of what we're where we're going next week.
It's not going to be about sports. <laughs> okay. But the analogy is this. The, a coach doesn't just send his players out there and say, just run around. Now, we did that when we were kids, right? You know, just go deep and I'll throw it to you. Uh, they have a plan. In fact, professional sports, they spend a lot of time and energy working on a plan. But some of us approach life with just kind of this run deep and I'll throw it to you thing. You should have a plan. Life, you should have a plan. And if you're a Jesus follower, it's really important that you find out what God's plan is for you. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Uh, let me pray with you. We'll have a final song and let you go. Thank you, God, for uh, your wisdom and the principles you teach us about relationships and about marriage. And um, It seems almost counterintuitive, but that's because, um, you know, we're selfish by nature. Uh, but this stuff really works. Um, many of us give testimony, and when we do it, when we do it right, it really works. It brings uh, honor to you, God. It makes a relationship better. It makes our spouse happier. And uh, so help us to to humble ourselves and receive that grace and that patience and that power. And uh, with this casting thing, God, we so easily cast it and bring it back. Uh, help us to continue to cast it and develop that new habit. And uh, you'll make our relationships better. Thank you, God, for Jesus who died for us so we can have that relationship and understand these things. So we'd like to close by praying for anyone here that's not a Jesus follower that you could step across that line this morning, accept that gift. It's a free gift. God loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. And you just got to say, yes, I want to have a relationship with you, God. And uh, he, will, he will invite you in. Uh, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.